Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Remember that catchphrase, think global, act local? Well, that's where we're, what, we're, what we're doing this week on Dirt Radio. But in the era of the internet and social media, we're going to be mixing it up a bit and turning it around a little bit, thinking local and acting global. And in the first part of the show, we're going to be thinking local and acting global in relation to the survival of the Great Barrier Reef. And then we're going to go regional, where somewhere in between the local and the global, to look at the devastating assault on being assault being mounted to silence environmental and indigenous rights activists in the Philippines and Indonesia. Hello, I'm John Langer. And I'm Emma Watson. So the Great Barrier Reef is considered a national treasure and an international brand icon for what people all over the world think of when they think of the beauty of Australia. But it's an ecosystem in deep, deep trouble. Poor water quality from dredging and agricultural runoff, declining fish populations, and critically the coral bleaching which is caused by climate change. So Georgia Gurney is an environmental social science research fellow at James Cook University in Townsville, and she's been investigating the ways that social media and the internet can be utilised to mobilise and focus campaign work both locally and globally at all at the same time. So welcome, Georgia. Hello, thank you for having me. It's great to have you on Dirt Radio this morning. Uh, we'll get to the Barrier Reef in a minute, but to start, let's um, provide some context. So as I understand it, your research suggests that the internet and social media, uh, with the internet and social media, environmental campaigning is a very, in a very specific location can actually become a collective initiative for, for concerned people right across the globe. And you use the example of a very remote forest in Tasmania where a lone environmental campaigner who was hanging 60 metres above the forest floor uh, was able to coordinate uh, a global uh, online campaign. So uh, it's a very dramatic picture seeing a, a lone person hanging 60 metres from the forest floor um, coordinating a, an international campaign. Can you tell us a bit more about this and uh, why her work was so important in engaging this uh, global community? Um, yes, well, um, Miranda Gibson was her name, and actually, it's um, her that particular case study isn't a part of my work. I just um, pointed to it in a recent um, article that I did. But from what I know of that particular case, um, I guess it really highlighted that these days, people who are very remotely located can leverage um, the global population through the use of social media and other kinds of communication um, mm. devices. And you talk Despite, about... As you um, said, being 60 metres above the forest floor in Tasmania, they're communicating with people around the world and trying to get them to act collectively for, in this case, the forest in Tasmania. Yeah, OK. So let's turn to the Great Barrier Reef 
and the recently launched Citizens of the Great Barrier Reef Initiative. Can you explain a little bit more about this and, and why you think this might be particularly significant in the context of environmental campaigning for the reef? So um, I guess you know, going back a step, when the Great Barrier Reef um, Marine Park was first established, the approach of managing at the scale of the whole region of the whole region of um, Queensland was revolutionary. But I, these days that approach isn't sufficient anymore because many of the key local threats such as fishing, bleaching, um, poor water quality are driven by processes that operate beyond the state of Queensland at a national or international level. So obviously something like fishing is um, often driven by national or international market demands and um, poor, poor, poor water quality is in some locations is driven by dredging, which is due to mining, international mining market demands and so forth, and of course climate change, which um, with bleaching being one of the key or the key threats to the reef at the moment, which is driven by global climate change, which obviously these things can't be managed at a local scale. Sure, local management efforts do help to combat those threats, but to be um, to address them sufficiently, we need multi-scale governance at local to international scales. And so the interesting thing about this particular initiative is that it's, um, they're trying to, to leverage social media to um, communicate with the international public community to try and um, leverage their attachment to the reef to reduce their consumption, which ultimately you know, contributes to reducing their carbon footprint mm in the end will contribute to reducing climate change and hopefully bleaching on the reef, even if it is a rather indirect um, pathway. Mm. Georgina, can I, uh, it's John, John Langer here. Um, can I just come in here just, just to give us a bit of background on the, uh, the Great Barrier Reef um, collective, global collective that start, when did it start and, and uh, w- just give us a bit of a, bit of a picture of what, what, it's, what it is. So I guess, yes, as you said, I mean, the Great Barrier Reef, given that it's a World Heritage Area, it's inherently been a um, global public good for quite a long time. Um, I think that these days people are realising that, particularly in regards to management, it can't just be at a local to regional scale anymore. It needs to be a global scale concern and we need to build... We've got some kinds of institutions operating at the um, international scale, but we need further institutions that allow trans, um, transnational um, public participation in issues in regards to the reef because uh, some of our recent research has shown where we looked at how people people's place attachment to the reef, whether their emotional and functional attachments to the reef from people over... from. 40 different countries, and we found that some people had very strong emotional attachments to the reef, even if they lived very far away from the reef in other countries, which were comparable to the emotional attachments um, of people who live close to the reef. Hmm. So, And these kinds of emotional attachments can also be fostered by social media because, you know, social media and other kinds of communication technology in that allows us to build and maintain these connections to very distant places. Mm. When did the uh, citizens 
for the Barrier Reef, uh, citizens of the Bar- Great Barrier Reef. When did the, the organization start? Um, I think that it started in the last, um, well, they officially launched in uh, November or December of last year. And can, is it a global launch? Mm, mm. Just uh, look, I, I, I'm trying to sort of place all this, and um, it, it is, in a sense, what people, I guess, co- would call a virtual organization. But is it is it located in one specific place? Is there is there a, a sort of location where all things go to, flow to, and flow out of? Um, so I'm not I'm not actually affiliated with the program, but um, I think that they're based out of Cairns. Right. Okay. Yeah, great. I had a look on the the website, the Citizens for Great Barrier Reef campaign online, and it's got a lot of um, interesting projects on there that you can support um, via the website. Um, But let me quote you back to yourself. Um, You say, an important challenge in engaging distant communities in environmental campaigning is to avoid the pitfalls of slacktivism. So in terms of the citizens of the Great Barrier Reef campaign and the online platform, uh, what would slacktivism look like and um, what do they advise in order to avoid it and make a real impact? Well, I guess um, in this case, so I think for how the system works is that you can sign up to, um, to indicate that you're participating in several kinds of actions some of them include, you know, simple things such as not using throwaway cups or throwaway straws, limita- eliminating food waste and um, other actions. And I guess um, how slacktivism may manifest in that particular, in the case of the citizens of the GBR, they, people may sign up, sign up to these um, actions or say they're going to do these actions but they don't actually do those actions or they... Yeah, so that, I guess that would be... It's, I mean, that's always the difficult thing going from what people will say they do to what people actually mm-hmm. do in their mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. We know, we, know, we know that <laughs> down here. We know that down here, yeah. uh, Georgina. <laughs> Yep, so that's a, a good uh, encouragement to, to put action behind our words so the words aren't, aren't just wind and, and we actually um, see the rubber hit the ground, more people that are actually taking action. So, um, and we're here in Melbourne, we're far from the reef, but not as far as, say, New York or London or, or Berlin. Mm. Uh, so where can people go to find out more if they want to get involved? I mean, there's a number of these, um, obviously, as you know, there's a number of sort of international um, activist groups in regards to the Great Barrier Reef, the citizens of the GBR being one, but also a prominent one being the Fight for the Reef, which both can be found online. And I guess um, the citizens of the GBR is taking the approach of trying to foster people to take um, sustainable actions in their lives to reduce their carbon footprint, mm. whereas the Fight for the Reef campaign is, ha- takes a more political approach and tries to sort of facilitate um, political lobbying at, at um, various levels of government from state, national to international um, institutions such as the World Heritage Committee. And so those are two um, good options that people can take if they're interested in becoming involved in trying to take actions for the reef. Mm. And of course, you know, in other countries, 
it's a given climate change is such an overriding problem for the reef, but of course many ecosystems around the world, people just lobbying their, um, in any country, people lobbying their politicians in regards to climate change obviously can have a very profound effect um, for all ecosystems that are threatened by climate change. Mm. Yes, thanks very much, Georgia, for your insights today and um, and uh, sharing some of the findings from your research. Um, so that was Georgia Gurney. Uh, she's Excuse me, uh, Emma, oh. it's Georgina. Oh, Georgina, sorry. Georgina, Georgina we apologise for <laughs> yes, sorry about that. misrecognising your name. Don't worry, so, some people call me Georgia, so that's fine. <laughs> Georgina Gurney, uh, an environmental social science research fellow at James Cook University in Townsville. And we'll, we will put all those details up on the Dirt Radio Facebook page and also on the Dirt Radio website. Thanks very much, Georgia. Georgina. Okay, thank you for having me. Okay, bye. And uh, we will be back. Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, Mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No. That's true. But if you like tram interference, is always the AM. The AM, old school. (laughs) You know, some people like the crackle on vinyl. Well, some people like noise music. Experimental Mm -hmm, noise music. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. Yes. Waged? $75. And solidarity? $150. $150. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. Dirt Radio, that's us. And this week on Dirt Radio, we're talking about the environment and environmental campaigning and the links between the local and the global. And in the middle, of course, we need to think about what goes on at the level of the regional. And that's exactly what Friends of the Earth Asia-Pacific is doing. Maddie Egan is a member of Friends of the Earth Asia-Pacific, and she's on the line to explain a little bit more for us. Maddie, welcome to Dirt Radio, and thanks for your time. Thank you, John. Now, Friends of the Earth Asia-Pacific has just put out a media release, and I wanted to quote it back to you so that you can fill us in a little bit. It says FOAPAC, which is a short for Uh, Friends of the Earth, Asia-Pacific, condemns the use of anti-communist and anti-terrorist laws to silence environmental and indigenous rights activists in the Philippines and Indonesia. In general terms, so we can get our heads around this issue, what's been going on? So this is part of a a trend um, within the region, but also globally, um, of the criminalization of people who might defend Um, the environment and defend their land. Um, So we can see recently um, in our region, in the Philippines, a number of environmental and Indigenous rights activists were included in a list of alleged members of the Communist Party, uh, which the government has petitioned be declared as terrorists under an anti-terrorism act in the Philippines. 
Mm. Uh, in Indonesia, there was a case um, where an activist was accused of um, allowing hammer and sickle, sickle banners to be unfurled in an anti-mining demonstration. Um, and so you can see um, that these are really attempts to silence people who are speaking out against violations against um, environmental uh, and Indigenous rights. And in relation to, you me- you mentioned the, the global situation. I, I was reading um, uh, a little bit of background on this. And, of course, this this is not new. And this this is part of what's been going on for, for a long time. Yeah, that's right. So what we can see is that there's an increasing trend of violence, uh, including intimidation, harassment, demonization, and sometimes killing of people from Indigenous or rural communities who are standing up for their territories. Um, Last year, there was a report by Global Witness, um, and they found that 197 people were killed for defending land or wildlife or natural resources, which is uh, nearly four people every week. yeah. And Maddie, just tell it. You mentioned Global Witness. Did, can you give us a bit of background on Global Witness? I, I don't. I yeah. We should. Pro- I probably should know a bit more about it. I'm sure I could know a little bit more about them as well. Um, what I do know is that they've been um, doing this research for quite a long time. Um, so they've been tracking how many people have been killed um, in these kinds of uh, land conflicts since 2002, um, and that research has shown that. In that time, the number of people being killed each year has risen fourfold. Mm, mm. I, I, I was reading, um, you, say, you did send me some stuff, and the, the Guardian newspaper has been running a series on the persecution and killing of people defending their environment. And I didn't realize that the, the totals were, were so disturbing. And I, I think what's really interesting about what I read and I think what you're saying is that these, these people defending their their lands and their livelihoods, they're not necessarily NGOs. They're just ordinary folk who want want to uh, basically maintain their way of life. Yeah, exactly. The vast majority of these people are from Indigenous communities or rural communities. Um, And what's happening is that there is an increasing global demand for resources, which fuels the expansion of certain industries into new territories. Um, so those industries would include agribusiness and mining. Mm. As these industries are looking to open up new territories, they come into conflict with the people who are already there and whose lives and livelihoods and ancestral traditions depend on those territories. There's something that's interesting that's going on right now in Australia, as you probably are aware, the ASEAN conference is being held in, in, in Australia for the first time. And it's been suggested that Australia maybe get invited to, to join this this uh, organization. In your estimation, do you, do you think that would, in a sense, make any difference? Is is it a possible that Australia can make some kind of an intervention, or are they, in a sense, part of the problem? Yeah, look, I'm not sure um, if I'm... <laughs> Ready to, to answer that question? <laughs> yeah, right. I think it's a really big, interesting big one. Yeah, yeah. I think Absolutely. that you know, these kinds of regional, um, a regional perspective can be really uh, powerful. And Australia 
is part of the Asia-Pacific region, um, both geographically but also um, in terms of our trade links, our immigration links, um, our history as well. Um, I guess one kind of interesting uh, case study that we might be able to learn from is Latin America, which has or is currently the deadliest region for environmental Indigenous rights defenders. Um, and in response to that um, great threat, um, there are 24 states in Latin America and the Caribbean who have just signed a legally binding environmental rights pact. Mm. And that pact is including measures that protect these people who are defending land. Mm. And it guarantees a healthy environment and it impels states to establish transparency bodies that are going to oversee the compliance with the new rules. So that's certainly something that other regions mm. around the world, mm. including Asia-Pacific, um, could certainly consider. Very interesting, very interesting. And look, another, again, a, a bit of a speculative question, but something that we've been thinking about today on Dirt Radio, we, we just spoke to someone about the Great Barrier Reef, and she was talking about an organization called Citizens for the Barrier Reef, and what she was basically saying was that in a way, even though the reef is very specifically located, you can mobilize people on social media and through the Internet to have a global campaign. And what I was going to ask you is the connection between the local or the regional and the global and the Internet and social media, do you think that might make some impact in terms of raising awareness or even creating the conditions for change in the region that you're talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think out of sight, out of mind uh, is certainly a reality. Um, and so the more that we pay attention to and see what is happening in our region, the more we're going to be um, willing and able to respond. Mm-hmm. Now, just to, to finish up, or, uh, look, maybe before, we've actually got a, a little bit of extra time here, but uh, I was going to ask you... Um, uh, to tell us where, if we wanted to find out a bit more about stuff, um, where we could go. But before we get to that, um, is there anything else that we, we, we should be knowing about or understanding in relation to this that you were mentioning before when we were corresponding by email that you'd spoken to somebody in the Philippines who, who had a lot of knowledge about this. Did he tell you a little bit more about the situation there? Because I imagine it must be very, very critical there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Friends of the Earth Asia-Pacific, um, in fact, has a spokesperson on this issue, which is not me. Um, it's actually um, Ramel de Vera from the Philippines. Um, and unfortunately, he couldn't um, do this interview, but he did talk to me a little bit about what's been going mm. on in the Philippines. Um, so the president there, President Duterte, has been in... Um, his term began in 2016. And since then, um, he's constantly undermined the defence of human rights, um, often through verbal attacks, for example, on the Commission for Human Rights, on the UN Human Rights System, on the International Criminal Court, but also on local human rights activists. Um, so he's made statements that target um, Indigenous people in the Philippines, alleging that they're recruits to certain rebel groups. Um, and along with that, argued uh, that these Indigenous communities should let investors into their ancestral land um, in order that uh, 
they bring development and therefore um, curb uh, their, I guess, support for rebel groups. Um, but you can clearly see um, within that rhetoric the link between um, trying to silence people who defend their land and their motive to gain access to the resources mm. within that land. Mm-hmm. Look, it's it's obviously a, um, a a very big issue and something that we need to keep in touch with and keep following. And, and we hope to talk to you again, Maddie, and, and catch up with what, what's been happening. But just to finish up, tell us where we might go uh, to find out a little bit more about the uh, conditions and the assault on environmental defenders. Certainly. Well, you can find a number of reports um, written by Friends of the Earth International by going to foi.org and you can also read about um, a number of cases on The Guardian which is currently running a series that tries to document the killing of every single human rights uh, environmental human rights defender Um, so that's quite an incredible um, archive of Mm. stories Um, it's at The Guardian and the series is called The Defenders and I would highly recommend that. You sent that to me, and it is really, really disturbing and also important reading. Thanks very much for being on Dirt Radio this morning, Maddie. Thank you, John. We were talking there with Maddie Egan, and she's a member of Friends of the Earth Australia Pacific, and we will put the details that she mentioned on the 3CR Dirt Radio website page and also the Dirt Radio Facebook page. And that's it for Dirt Radio for another week. We're here next Tuesday at 9.30. Dirt Radio is an affiliated uh, partner with Friends of the Earth Melbourne. And to find out more, go to the website www.fo.org.au.